I hope that's all right. Ah, kia ora. Nā mihi ki te whānau o te auriki, kua hui mai nei ki tēnei whare uh, te ata nei, te ata tino ata hua. Greetings this morning to everyone on this beautiful morning. Uh, kia ora koutou i rotu e te araha, o hi hu kraiti. Greetings in the love of Jesus. It's great to be here today. Um, hang on a minute. I'll get in the real trouble if I walk on the microphone. I know about tech people. And, uh, yeah, so it's delightful to be here and Phil, wherever you are. I thought that was marvellous sharing about Papua New Guinea. I think our news media have let us down terribly, uh, and I just love what you shared and, uh, and, and the prayers uh, for that country. It's just great. Well, Colin rang me up a couple of weeks ago and said, can you come and preach? And I said, yes. He said, uh, uh, he said we're doing a series on, the, Lord's, on um, the Seven on the Mount, and I want you to preach on the Lord's Prayer. And I said... Hey, the whole Lord's Prayer in one morning? He said, yes. I said, but don't you know there's been whole books written on it, you know, and, and I did a series once and it was weeks. And he said, you've got a week. <laughs> so it's a little bit this morning like a 10-course meal in 10 minutes. But I hope you don't choke. Uh, also, he gave me another instruction as well. He said, please don't make them all feel guilty that they don't pray enough. And you're quite safe on that one. Uh, because all of us could pray more, couldn't we? Uh, but feeling guilty about it doesn't make much change. If you're like me, I've been worked over by experts, and I've had plenty. You know, I've got plenty to feel guilty about. Uh, but but guilt is not a good motivator for long-term, lasting change. But getting excited about prayer and inspired about prayer now that's an entirely different matter. And I hope this morning that we get excited and inspired uh, about prayer. Uh, but there's another thing about prayer. You know, on the telly, there's a huge number of food programs, aren't there? You can watch MasterChef, My Kitchen Rules, you can watch Jamie Oliver, all this kind of stuff. But imagine if you got so wrapped up on the TV programs about food and you thought to yourself, I can't cook like that, so I'm not eating. That would be pretty stupid. And I don't want to fall into that trap this morning. I don't want us to talk at great length about prayer and not do any praying. So let me tell you what's going to happen this morning. Three things. We're going to pray our way through the Lord's Prayer to start with. Okay, we're not just going to say it. Jesus didn't give it to us just so we could say it. Uh, And then I want to share some thoughts and insights about the Lord's Prayer. And then I'm going to come back to the Lord's Prayer. Hang on a minute. I can't see the screen. Oh no, I've got one down here. Marvellous. And uh, and we're going to pray our way through the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther, the the famous uh, German, he used to pray his way through the Lord's Prayer twice every day. Using it as a pattern, as a template for his own prayers. Not just saying it repetitiously, but, but using it to inspire his own prayers. And so I think you folks at Parklands look like you're up for praying together this morning. Okay, we're going to pray together, otherwise there's going to be some embarrassing silences. And, uh, and I, I want you as we go through to think of, of just a phrase, a sentence that, that fits with this template that Jesus gave us. So, uh, so that's the plan, okay? Let's go back and, uh, and also as an introduction, yeah, this, Jesus said this is how you should pray and that was an answer Luke 
tells us to a question his disciples asked him. They said, Lord, can you teach us to pray? Why did they ask Jesus? The answer is pretty clear, isn't it? They knew that he prayed. They'd seen him take time to pray. They'd seen him invest energy and enthusiasm in prayer. They knew that he knew how to pray. And so they went and they asked him, the master, how to pray. And if you're going to learn something, go to the best person you can. If you want to learn how to sing, I'll give you a word of advice. Don't come and ask me. Okay? I'm hopeless. <laughs> I say to people, there's an awful lot of musical talent in my family, and I've got none of it. <laughs> And if you want to learn how to pray, then Jesus wants to give us a master class in prayer this morning. Because he's the master of prayer. And he wants to teach us and guide us, each one of us, and us as a community of people today, uh, to pray. So, so let's pray these two slides, the Lord's Prayer. And... Uh, I've added on the piece that's not in Matthew uh, at the end, but it's an appropriate piece that we commonly say to wrap up the Lord's Prayer. So say it with me, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen. So there's the Lord's Prayer. There's the uh, template that he's given for us to use. So let's go to the first line. Our Father in heaven. Who can call somebody Father? Their children. Only children can call somebody father, their father. And so this tells us straight away that it's God's children who come to him and call him father. How do we become children of God, his daughters, his sons? Is it automatic? Are all of us humans sons and daughters of God? The answer is no. No, we're not. There's only one way to become a child of God, and it's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done for us. In John, it tells us to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's Jesus has opened the door and made it possible for us to become children of God. And in when we've made that choice and made that decision, taken that momentous step, then we can speak to God and say, Father. And when we speak to God as Father, this word is just full of love because he is the perfect Father. We've all had fathers. Some of them were great, some of them were pretty terrible, and some were somewhere in between. But God is a wonderful Father and his love is perfect. And because he loves us perfectly, it means that we can trust him. We are safe and secure. And when we come and say, Father, it's got this feeling of love and being embraced and being able to trust him. But the line says more than that. It says, our Father, not my Father. 
We live in an individualistic world where it's all about me, the unholy trinity, I and me and mine. Yeah? Get an iPhone, get an iPad. Yeah? It's all about how I am. But this is not my father. This is our father. And that tells us an awful lot too, doesn't it? You look around. If we all say our father, that makes us brothers and sisters, family together. Yeah? Our father. It means when you look at a fellow believer, you can say, that's my sister, that's my brother. Because he's our father. And it also tells us that praying together is really important. It's great, of course, to pray on your own. But I believe we neglect praying together. This prayer says our Father is to be prayed together. (coughs) Praying as a crowd, praying as a community is wonderful. And I think our praying together actually empowers our praying on our own, not the other way around. But I'm still not finished with the first line. You see my problem? (laughs) Our Father, where is he? In heaven. Where's that? I love the story of the first Russian astronaut that went up into space and he came back and he said, well, there's no God up there, there's no heaven, he doesn't exist. Now, of course, he only went just into Earth orbit. Uh, The Hubble Space Telescope's up there now and it sees for, you know, light years beyond imagination and they still haven't found heaven and that's because they won't. It's not there. It's not like that. Heaven is closer than you think. Think about Jesus after the crucifixion and resurrection. In those days before he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, what happened? He just popped up some places. They were all scared and inside a room with locked doors and hang on a sec, Jesus is here. They're at the beach and hang on a minute, Jesus is here. He's walking down the road with two people in grief and hang on a minute, he's gone. He talked with them, he shared with them, and then gone. Jesus was able just to come and go. He wasn't so far away, it took ages to get here. Just through the veil. Just just there. So close, sometimes you can feel it, sometimes you can almost smell it and hear it, but you can't see it. Heaven isn't so far away. And he's at our side. So that's who we're talking to when we address God, our Father, in heaven. Isn't it marvellous to be able to start a prayer like that? Our Father in heaven. And then come six requests, and there's a conclusion. The first request, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is is one that's hardly ever used these days. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, well, that doesn't tell you much, does it? Not a lot of help. What what does this word hallowed mean? It's an old word and it means holy. Yeah, that's right. Honour as holy. To hallow something is to honour it as holy. And straight away you might see a problem here. Hang on a minute, God is holy. So why are we saying hallowed be your name? He's already holy. We can't make him any more holy than he is. That's for sure. Yes, he's holy. 
always holy, already holy. And when we become his sons and daughters, his children, we share his holiness. But here's the rub. We can also tarnish his holiness. We can bring discredit to him. We can dishonor him by our actions or our lack of them, our words or whatever. And so this line really is a prayer for us that our lives will honor him and will bring him honor in such a way that more and more people will want to come and know the God that we honor and live for in the way that we live. So there's so much to thank God for. And as we thank him and express our gratitude, we honor him and make it clear that his name is holy. So there's the first request. Now the second one. Your kingdom come. What's a kingdom? A kingdom's got a a king. Yeah? A kingdom is where a king or a queen reigns. So this line is, and there's a slide there, I think, yeah, is asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives, our emotions, our desires, our thoughts, and our commitments. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, come and reign in my life, in my heart, in, in, in every part of me. Now that's an awful big ask, isn't it? And I would say you don't ask it, don't pray this if you don't mean it. We're asking God to come and rule in our hearts so that we not only do what he wants us to do, but we want to obey him. We want to please him. We want to live for him with all our hearts and with great joy and gratitude. Your kingdom come. How does it come? Two key ways that the kingdom comes. First, through the Spirit. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to be in us and to empower us, to touch us and shape our hearts and to work in our emotions and our whole selves. And the kingdom comes as, as we open ourselves to the, the marvelous presence of the Spirit within us. The kingdom also comes, just as importantly, through the Word. As we read God's Word to us, and it becomes alive to us and it speaks to us and it challenges us and it feeds us and it nurtures us and changes the way we think. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds, by the word. So the kingdom comes through the spirit and also through the word. And it's not either or. That's a terrible trap to fall into. It's both. Next line. I've got to keep going like I told you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A question for you. When you were a kid growing up and your father told you to do stuff, did you always understand? Did you always like it? I didn't. Sometimes the old man didn't make much sense and actually aggravated me badly. But you know what? He had a bad habit of being right. <laughs> now, he wasn't always right because he was human. But he had a bad habit of being right. And if my kids were here this morning, they would say much the same, you know. Well, Dad, surprisingly what he does know. He's not, and often he's right, but not always. That's because we're human. 
But the Heavenly Father is different. He always knows best. He always loves and he always wants the very best for us. But this is a serious line, isn't it? Your will be done on earth, and that's where I am, as it is in heaven. Martin Luther, quoting him again, he says, Grant us the grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering and adversity, and to recognise that in, in, in this your divine will is crucifying our will. That's a very heavy statement. And you might think to yourself, well, that's actually too much to ask. That's taking it too far. That's trusting him more than I can bring myself to trust him. And in and, and those kind of situations, can I really trust God? And the answer to that is yes, you can. It's not too much to ask. Because this, is part the, this line is what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was under stress and pressure like we can't imagine. And there are lots of paintings about it like this, and I showed, Leslie saw this one this morning, and she said, it's awful. You know, doesn't like it. Well, I don't like it either. And, and Jesus looks really serene there, doesn't he? He wasn't serene. He was under so much pressure that his, he was sweating drops of blood. There's been a couple of paintings picture, you know, that, that try to explain it, to convey the depth of emotion. And that's not a pretty picture, but I think it's a bit more accurate. It's actually an unpleasant picture, but I think it's true. There's another one as well, for those who like the abstract. It's trying to tell an emotional story. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And if we don't trust God at this deep level, there will be consequences. Because if we're not trusting God, then we're trusting somebody else. And you know who we tend to trust the most? <laughs> Me, the person in the mirror. Let me run through two or three consequences to you. When people hurt us and reject us, if we're not trusting God, we are going to be drawn to look for revenge because it's only fair. Look what they did to me. Look what they said about me. So it's perfectly all right for me to give them back a bit of the same medicine so they understand I care about them. <laughs> yeah. When people upset us, offend us. If we're not trusting God, it could eat away at us. We'll ruminate on it. We'll think about it and it'll just eat us and we lose our peace we lose our trust in God and we get consumed by this offence that we can't get rid of if we are able to trust God then we can trust him with and that stuff a third one and there's plenty of others three is enough if we don't trust God some people through a lack of trust in God, they become tr controllers of others. I've got to manage your life for you because you're obviously not doing it quite well enough. And I need to sort you out. And, and, and people try to manage other people's lives. And they really, although they wouldn't say so, trying to do God's work for him. They're not trusting God. So there's our, our line. Can we have the next one? Just before we move on, we're now about halfway through. And uh, so how are we doing? 
Have you noticed that we haven't prayed anything yet for us? Our needs or the needs of the world. It's all about seeing God as he is and becoming properly focused on him to have a clear, sharp picture of God, not some blurry vision. We've been healed of our self-centeredness. We're recognizing, and this is really important, that God is God and we are not. Yeah? When you come and say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, you're saying, Your will be done. You're saying, You are God and I am not. That's an important thing. Our culture tells us to submit everything in our lives to our own understanding, to question everything and to come up with our own answers. As I said before, we live in a culture of rampant individualism, therapeutic individualism, to make me feel better. The ultimate authority in our lives is us, our feelings, our ideas, our wants, our convictions. And just because we go to church and call ourselves Christians doesn't make us immune from this. We can attempt to use God as a means to make me feel good. We can use our, our worship, our gatherings, our Christian life as a way to get what I want for me. And that's not true Christian faith at all. True Christian faith is God using us for his big marvellous purposes in the whole world. We are not our own gods. So, we'll go to the next line. Give us today our daily bread. And I've got a picture of some nice bread. Jesus did not say, give us today a really tasty T-bone steak. Or give us today our pavlova. I really like pav, or you know, whatever you go for. He says, give us today our bread, our daily bread. A basic food, a staple food. But if we can go back to that line, whose bread? My bread? No. Give us today our daily bread. So it's not, I'm not just praying for me. Can I have enough food to keep going? May we all have what we need. It's a prayer, not just for me and my family or for me and my church, but it's actually a prayer for the whole community, for all of us, that we have what we need, the staples, the basics of life. Um, let me, there's a quote here, Tim Keller quoting Martin Luther. He, he says this, to pray, give us, all the people of our land, daily bread, is to pray against Wanton exploitation in business, trade and labour which crushes the poor and deprives them of their daily bread. There's a real social dimension to this line of the Lord's Prayer. It's praying for a thriving economy, for uh, good employment, for a just society. And when we pray this prayer, people who exploit others and rip them off and use them and abuse them and cheat and all the rest, they'd better look out because the church is praying against them. We're praying against that stuff when we pray in harmony with the Lord's Prayer. We're praying for a prosperous and a just social order for our whole community. Moving on. Next one. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It doesn't get any easier, does it? You've probably all heard the story, I imagine, a terribly sad story of Larry Nasser. 
the United States Olympic gymnastic team coach, who over very many years sexually abused hundreds, I think I saw a figure 250 young women, some as young as six years old. Rachel Denhollander, who's there in the photo with her hand up, was one of his victims. She suffered four years of abuse from the age of 15, and she was a key person in finally bringing Nasser's abuse to light. And at the trial, she was the last witness, and she spoke for 36 minutes a, a, a victim abuse statement. And at the end of it, she received a standing ovation. She's now a married woman, a mum, and has three young daughters. She's a courageous Christian woman. And I want you to see or to, to hear just a little bit of what she said in that courtroom. I've just taken some excerpts. In our early hearings, she's speaking to Larry Nasser, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. Isn't this an amazing statement from this young mum, this wonderful Christian woman? And there's one more slide. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and the forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Isn't that a marvelous statement? Of honesty, of guts, of truth, and also of love and forgiveness. It's an outstanding statement, just recently in the news. And you know, confessing our sins, admitting to God where we have stuffed up, is an everyday part of the Christian life. And it's not a bad part of the Christian life, it's actually a really good part. Because we can come to God and say, God, I've done it again, I've stuffed up. I need your forgiveness. It's a marvellous thing. It's essential to be regularly asking God for his forgiveness. It's not hard, it's freeing, and it's releasing and joyful. But if we're carrying bitterness and anger and resentment or whatever towards someone, then you can't, according to this prayer, come and ask God for forgiveness. You can't say, God, I want to hate that person, but I want you to forgive me. He says, no deal. You'd be turning yourself into a hypocrite. If you turn this line around, it, you, could, you could put it this way, don't forgive me if I'm unwilling to forgive others. Like I say, it doesn't get any easier, does it? But being willing to forgive is so important. Let's keep moving. Lead us not into temptation. Does this mean that God tempts us? No, it does not. That's Satan's department. And he doesn't need any help, I can tell you. And it doesn't mean that to be tempted 
is sin. We all experience temptation. Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. So just because you're tempted to do some heinous thing or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're sinning. Temptation can actually, think about it this way, do you good. Because it's how you become strong. You don't become a fit athlete sitting on the couch in front of the TV eating chips and drinking Coke. Sorry. <laughs> you become fit and strong by pushing yourself and feeling the pain. And sometimes we've got to fight temptation if we're going to come out the other end. That's a, a healthier way to look at it. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Temptation comes at us from two sources. This is a summary. On one hand, if things are going sweet and my life is good, and I'm happy, and I've got my next holiday booked, and the bank account's looking great, and my wife loves me, or whatever, you know. Riches and power and honor tempt us to think we don't need God. I'm doing great. Who needs God? I'm doing fine by myself. That's a temptation, and it's an insidious one. On the other hand, poverty, disgrace, contempt, and trouble, you know, Everything's going wrong in my life. It's all gone to custard. Where's God? He obviously given up on me. doesn't care enough about me. I don't matter. I'm going to give up on him. And people go there too, don't they? Yeah? Those are two quite different temptations, but I think nearly every temptation fits somewhere in one department or the other. Temptation comes our way. And we've got to deal with it. There was somebody who once said, and there's a picture for this, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them making nests in your hair. And you can't stop the temptations flying through your head and popping up in your thoughts, but you can stop them making a home in your head. Yeah? Okay, moving on. Deliver us from evil. Temptation is about dealing with the, that ugly stuff inside us, but there's another angle as well. Because out in the world, outside us, there is a, an enemy on the prowl. The Bible talks about him like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. And we need protection from the enemy, from the devil. And this line of the prayer says, Lord, protect us from the devil, our enemy the evil stuff he does. And then we come to the very last bit of the prayer. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours forever. Amen. It's not part of the prayer that Jesus gave us, but it's a very appropriate conclusion. After praying about our needs, our troubles, our limitations, it takes us back again to see the truth about God's complete sufficiency for us. It refocuses us on him. The prayer finishes with a statement of confidence and trust. And the next slide will help us. I want you to think about prayer not as just what we go to God to get. It's not a shopping list kind of exercise. It's communication with God. It's connecting with God. As Tim Keller says in the... Um, title of the book he wrote about prayer it's awe and intimacy with God that's what prayer is and prayer is to be done not just talked about and I hope that you're becoming excited and inspired to pray it's not just as it says here to get things from God but a way to get more of God
Which is more important? It's to know God and to experience him and to, to have him more part of us. That's the real heart of prayer. I've got a couple more pictures to finish just to, sh- to wrap up. I enjoyed watching some of the Winter Olympics and the ski jumpers really took my breath away. And they come down this enormous great slope and there's two grooves in the slope they come down. And they've all got their skis, you can see them there, and they've got their skis in those grooves and they follow those grooves. If they came out of those grooves, they would be in for a nasty crash landing, wouldn't they? They come down off there and then they launch out and they fly 100 metres or more. And here's a woman jumping. Quite beautiful. And, and to me, it's a kind of picture of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is kind of like those grooves to get us going in the right direction, to guide us, to give us the template, and to launch us into prayer. Yeah? So it's not just something to say repetitiously. It's something to launch us into our own communication with God and our own experience of awe and intimacy with him. So we're going to pray together now like I said. And I'm going to put a line at a time up there. And I'm going to encourage you to pray in the silence, but it'd be nice to have some folks pray out loud too. And pick up on something that has come to your mind or your heart as we've gone through these. So the first one is our Father in heaven. You might want to say thank you that we can call you. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you. But just sentences. Please, no long prayers, just sentences. But you can pop up numbers of times. Okay? You up for this? Beauty, let's go. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Hmm. Give us today our daily bread. In so many ways, Lord, our culture is such a gluttonous culture. Help us to find the simple things of life that satisfy us. Lord, help us to begin us with what you've given us. Hmm. Yes. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Thank you, Lord, that you do forgive, you can forgive, and you cleanse completely. Lead us not into temptation. Yes. Deliver us from evil. great declaration to finish with the kingdom the power and the glory are yours forever amen and we haven't finished yet let's thank God for that
Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's say together this last line. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen.